Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your hosts, Joe Rowles. Welcome back to another episode of Cover 2 Broncos. I am Joe Rowles, and I am joined today by Nathan Cooper of Sports Info Solutions. Thank you for joining me, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Joe. Yeah. Uh, And this is actually the second time I have had somebody from Sports Info Solutions on, but I cannot emphasize to you guys enough how good the SIS Football Rookie Handbook is. Uh, I have it actually sitting right next to me. It's one of those resources that I look to every time I'm like considering prospects. If nothing else, if you think that you know so much that you don't need a, a scouting guide, the thing to keep in mind is they have all the medical stuff, but on top of that, I love kind of being challenged by what I think I know anyway. Um, I kind of look at what you guys do as it helps to supplement what I think I see on tape. And the fact that I actually get to talk to you about it is, is awesome because I can actually ask some questions that kind of clarify some things for me. If you guys want to get the guide, uh, check it out at actasports.com. Um, it can also be found on Amazon. And if you want to follow Nathan on Twitter, he is at NCoopDraft. Or you can follow the Sports Info Solutions uh, account. It's at SportsInfo underscore SIS. Um, You've probably seen it before if you follow me on Twitter because I do – I actually cite you guys quite a bit with the stats, so – yeah, it's, it's awesome to see. Obviously, we love uh, everyone using our data and everything, and it's it's great to, to see our data out there and being used in different articles and podcasts and stuff, so it's awesome to see. Well, and one thing, kind of before we get into the draft stuff, I, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about some of the data just because 
some of this stuff, we're in this age, I think, where people are starting to really take the taboo away from like analytics. Um, people are kind of moving beyond like traditional box score a little bit. I hope, I mean, not everybody, we're still seeing some NFL teams pay for sacks. So that's kind of bad, but, but the smarter teams are kind of figuring it out. Um, but one of the ones I really want to touch, touch on is on target percentage, just because, uh, I cite it a lot because I think it's important. Um, because I think in today's NFL and honestly the college game too, with RPOs, the way people use screens and like easy passes, um, accuracy numbers are kind of like getting artificially inflated at this point. So I think it's easy to look at a guy who's not actually that accurate and think he's accurate because his traditional box score stats make him look like it. Um, so what is on target percentage first and foremost, and then kind of, we'll go from there, I guess, if you don't mind. Yeah. So basically, you know, we chart, you know, a catchable percentage, we chart an on target percentage, um, like you said, catchable uh, is one thing, you know, a completion percentage is, is one thing, um, but we want to try and, and make it a little bit better. One of the things that we scout as well is being able to put the ball, you know, in the right spot. And that's essentially what on target percentage is. Uh, we chart catchable, uncatchable, and whether or not the pass was on target. So basically, you know, you can have an uncatch, you know, not only can you have an uncatchable, but an off target throw um, or a catchable on target throw, but you can also have off target and catchable as well. So that's something like, uh, you know, you're getting an adjustment from a receiver, you know, the quarterback puts a ball, you know, five feet over a receiver's head, he has to jump up and make a catch, he still makes the grab, he's still able to make the catch, we're going to chart that as catchable, but it's also overthrown, which makes it not on target. So whenever you're looking at on target, this is basically whether or not it's being put on the frame and where it needs to go. Um, because we'll, we'll chart, you know, too far in front, too far behind, overthrown, underthrown. Um, you know, it can still be catchable, but being able to put it on target where your receiver essentially has a chance to to make a catch and make a play with it after the catch as well uh, is kind of what we're looking at with the on-target percentage. Uh, so then kind of a probably a dumb question, but so if you have a quarterback that you know is kind of struggles with his on-target percentage, it would make sense to to try and surround him with receivers who can kind of make him right. Yeah, absolutely. You want to look look for guys that, you know, if he's putting it, you know, all around his frame, but can't really put it on the target, you're looking for guys that have those wide catch radiuses um, and can kind of go up and make catches or kind of go below their knees, uh, can reach back behind them, reach out in front of them. Those guys, you really those big targets that really, uh, you know, are able to to make these guys, you know, all those catches uh, on target, essentially, whenever you look at it that way. Um, but yeah, you know, trying to, to build the team and, you know, build to your strengths. Uh, and, you know, if you know a guy isn't putting where it needs to, looking for guys that can go up and get it, uh, you know, off their target is probably one thing that you want to do. And I, I guess the the person who inspires me for this is actually Cam Newton. Because I remember back when Cam Newton was in Carolina, the, the kind of like the narrative for a while was surround him with big targets because Cam's going to spray the ball a little bit. But that way they can go up and get it and it'll make him right. So... But I yeah, now, now but for the Broncos, I think it also makes sense just because losing Cortland Sutton last year kind of kind of had an effect in part because Cortland Sutton is one of those guys. And, and again, this is based on what I've seen. So I haven't actually charted this, but my understanding has always been like Cortland Sutton kind of makes 50, 50 balls, something like 60, 40 balls. And that helped. Yep. And I think Tim Patrick and a little bit to a lesser degree does that too. And that's part of the reason why he had a big year last year. Exactly. It's always nice to find those guys that turn those 50, 50 balls into a higher percentage. Uh, and the other, the other stat I really want to pick your brain on just a little bit, just because I, I love this and I, I, I kind of touched on it a little bit. I think sacks are overrated. I mean, they're important, obvi- like, obviously they're important, 
But I think pressure percentage is one of those things that like it's not in the box score. But uh, Broncos fans, not all Broncos fans, but a lot of Broncos fans look at Von Miller's 2019 and think he had a down year because Von Miller actually, I think he only had eight sacks. But I want to say by your guys' charting, I want to say he was the 11th best in the league. He also made a Pro Bowl. But I want to say, again, I think he had 63 pressures, but I don't have it right in front of me. Uh, but what is the individual pressure percentage, I guess, if you don't if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, uh, kind of give you a little bit of a long-winded answer. But, but the number of pressures, essentially, uh, for a given player, you're looking at the number of plays that a player you know gets pressure on the quarterback. Um, this is a stat that I like to use, especially for front seven defenders. Um, I like using it a lot. Um, but it's also one of those stats that varies uh, most between – you know, different charting companies. If you look at us compared to other, um, you know, places that chart stuff like this, pressures is probably one of the things that uh, has the biggest discrepancy. Uh, and it's mainly just different definitions. Uh, we chart hurries, hits, and knockdowns. So that's basically what, what the pressures are. And if you're looking at a hurry, which is probably the most borderline of, of anyone, the most gray area, um, you know, it's essentially when you're getting within a couple yards of the quarterback, it affects um, you know, his platform or his throwing motion to some degree, uh, but you're not able to actually get a hand on him or, or you know, get some sort of contact on him. Um, that's the ones where I'm coming around the edge and making the, the quarterback have to step up or leave the pocket or something like that. Uh, like I said, that's one of the trickiest ones. It's sometimes hard to tell, especially with a quarterback who has a lot of good poise in the pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's sort of hard to tell if, uh, you know, he's being bothered by that. Um, but hurry is one of those things that kind of, that's probably the one that you'll see most whenever it comes to pressures hit, obviously that's some sort of forcible contact to the quarterback. Uh, and then knockdown is, you know, being able to knock down the quarterback. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there essentially could be a play where you, you could get just one. It could be just a hurry. It could be just a hit, or you could get all three. Um, so to kind of avoid the double counting process, uh, we just say, if you get one of those things or, you know, all of these things on a play, you get one pressure for that play. Okay. Um, and we basically count up how many plays that that occurs. And, um, you know, looking at that same aspect, you could add up a player's hurries, hits and knockdowns. It's not going to equal the number of pressures because obviously more than one of can happen on a given play. Yep. So, yeah, you're looking at how many basically how many plays uh, this guy has gotten pressure on the opposing quarterback. Good to know. Uh, that was actually I, I was going to ask you about that next is actually how how is all tally together? So that's that's helpful. Uh, so I guess. The, the next part of this, that I, I, obviously I, I have you on to talk about draft stuff, and I'm really excited to do it. Um, so I, I, we've already I, when I had John on before, we actually have gone over how you guys grade a little bit. But I, I, in case somebody hasn't listened to both yet, I would like to kind of mm-hmm. touch on that just a little bit, just because I think the fact that the number grade, when, when I first opened a book, you look at the number grade and you almost think like, oh, this number means this guy's better. And in, in a way it does, but it also like it specifically touches on what they're projected to be in terms of their role. And one of the things I really like about how you guys actually laid it out is you're very clear on this is two years down the road for a Super Bowl winning team or a Super Bowl contending team or a Super Bowl team. And yeah. it, it just it's, it's like a best case scenario on a good team. It's not like because like some of these guys are obviously that's not going to happen for every player. Like some players yeah. are going to be drafted, like even quarterback, like just as a rough example. You, you, Jamie Newman, because I know you wrote his report, you, you have him, I want to say you have him as a 6.3, which is a qual- a circumstantial starter or a quality backup. But for all we know, he ends up backing up, again, a hypothetical. Jimmy Garoppolo, who gets hurt first week, all of a sudden he's a starter and he's like an actual starter. That's probably not ideal. But, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. 
Um, yeah. So whenever you're looking at the, the grading process, um, you know, there's a lot of teams that use the role-based grading process. Yep. Um, and, you know, that goes, uh, you know, kind of, I guess, against what a lot of people used to use. And that's the round-based grading process. You know, we're, we're sitting here talking like, hey, this guy's a first rounder. This guy's a fifth rounder. You don't really know what that means. Um, there's, you can, I guess, use uh, context from previous drafts, but we're talking about working guys and we're talking about guys from this draft. So whenever you're talking about a round, you can't really, you know, do stuff for this draft and base it on previous drafts if we're just talking about this season. So like you said, we, you know, we grade based on their second season, uh, what their role is going to be defined as, uh, you know, by the time day one hits of, of year two, obviously guys are going to get put into certain situations. Um, you know, we, you're going to have some sort of learning curve uh, and development uh, happening your rookie season, but we're also not in the business of trying to develop guys for three or four years down the road. So, um, you know, get through that first season and then hopefully by the end of that season and starting year two, you kind of have a firm role um, of where this guy's going to be on your depth chart and what's going to happen. So yeah, you're basically looking at the different roles. And, and like you mentioned as well, you know, even though a, a guy is ranked or, or graded a little bit lower than another guy, doesn't necessarily mean, uh, you know, that's a bad thing. Uh, you know, if he fits in into that in a certain situation into a, with a certain team, you know, he could actually play higher than that. It's just we're, our grading structure, um, you know, lays out the roles. And obviously a guy who can play on the outside and the inside as a corner is going to be more valuable than a guy who can only play on the inside or things like that. So those are the kind of things that we're talking about there. And um, it's, it's a lot the, that goes into it and it's pretty in depth. And um, that's what we like about the book for sure. Well, and one other thing kind of in that, like in, in that vein that I really like about the guide is that you guys really split up the positions in a way that it makes sense because like defensive tackles, like just as an example, obviously like, and I'm thinking with, like with the Broncos specifically, Vic Fangio has said mo multiple times, like he wants a guy that can play up and down the line, like, because they play so much nickel, they're going to end up doing a lot of that anyway. At the same time, they employ Mike Purcell, who <clears throat> ideally he's a nose tackle. Like in base defense, that's what his role is. But he'll, he's going to play some one technique in nickel situations. So the fact that you guys split up defensive linemen with uh, nose tackles is really awesome because you can then look at, for a nose tackle, well, if he actually has three down versatility, that's one thing. But if he doesn't, then he's actually a two down player for one. And I actually have a much clearer picture of what I think he, he is. Um, yeah, and, Absolutely. And it's like the same thing with uh, Mike and Will. I, 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 I had known this before, but I never had like no other guy that I've looked at has split them up like that. And it really gives you a better picture of like what this guy's able to do in space. And I really, really like that. Yeah. We try to break it up as, as well. And as, uh, you know, as much as possible to, to get the clearest and most accurate picture. And you're looking at different, you know, different schemes as well. So, you know, this guy, if you have a four, three or a three, four, then, you know, this guy may fit better in this situation or, uh, you know, vice versa. And, you know, we, you, we have to realize that we're, we aren't a team, so we can't grade and, and do all this based on knowing, Hey, we're a three, four. So I'm going to grade everybody this way. Um, we're grading everybody, you know, you know, just on the whole and, uh, you know, just, saying, hey, this guy can fit into a 3-4, this guy can fit into a 4-3, or this guy's scheme versatile and can fit into both of them uh, and things like that. So, you know, for us, you know, being an, an independent company, uh, you know, looking at the whole and looking at for every team, um, just kind of breaking it out and giving you like, hey, this guy can fit better for, for this scheme. So he probably fits better with, you know, these 10 teams here uh, and things like that. So, it, you know, like I said, the with the book, it really uh, – 
kind of gives you uh, the chance to form your own opinion. You can use the scouting, you can use the stats, uh, however you want to. And we try to do uh, as much as we can to kind of give you a lot of that information to be able to let you do that. Yeah. And I, and I mean, I think it's, it's terrific for that because it, it, again, I get a much clearer idea of what I think the guy's role is. And then for guys, cause some of the guys I've already watched the tape before I had gotten the guide. And so seeing it was a good way of like, Oh, like me, like me and you like, Oh, we see this one way or, Oh, like, but at the same time, if I haven't seen a guy yet, I kind of have an idea of what to expect as I get to the tape and the way it's graded doesn't necessarily tell me, it, it doesn't set an expectation that I think like, puts the bar too high or too low. It just kind of gives yep. me an idea. It paints a picture before I see the picture. Absolutely. And you know, these reports are basically structured like an NFL scouts report yep. would be. So it's trying to give you as much information as possible without being too, you know, too long. It's, it's definitely concise. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're just trying to give you as much information to, to be able to, to base all of those, uh, you know, opinions and uh, you know, facts as, as you can. So, Kind of, kind of looking ahead, and I don't, and I don't know. Obviously, I don't think you're a Broncos fan. Uh, cool if you are; it's okay if you're not. Um, it's been a rough. I'm, I'm years. not, but I live. I'm not, but I lived in Denver for a year, so okay, know, so I, I definitely watched a little bit. Okay, but uh, so kind of like based on what they've done in free agency so far, just because we, we've kind of reached this point where any moves they're going to make before free agency are kind of like depth moves. Probably they're probably not going to make some sort of foundational change before the draft. So we kind of have an idea, I think, of like where where things kind of stand right now. Um, they do have about twenty six million in cap space from the looks of it. Last I checked, uh, they didn't really make a whole lot of like big signings. They only actually added uh, Ronald Darby, Kyle Fuller, and Mike Boone in terms of like additions from outside the roster. And then they kept a lot of people, which I mean I'm cool with. Um, but kind of based on what you know of the Broncos. What do you kind of like? What kind of stands out to you as like big needs that you think they should be looking to address in the draft? Uh, I mean, you know, if, if we're just looking at the moves they made, obviously, you know, I think the Justin Simmons move is good, especially this year. The the cap, uh, I'm I'm a little worried about the cap hit the next three years. It, it definitely jumps up there quite a bit. Uh, but he's a top 25 guy when you're talking about coverage total points, uh, positive play percentage, and, and stuff like that. Um, I like the Kyle, Kyle Fuller signing. Uh, he was fifth in the league among all corners and coverage total points. So he's a guy that definitely uh, can make plays. I like him on the outside there. Ronald Darby, I think he's more of, of a bridge guy. He's more of a filler. He's very streaky. Um, you can, can make some plays in there. So so that's my concern because I actually uh, I haven't actually done a complete film breakdown of Fuller yet. I watched him back in 2008 when Fangio was hired, but I haven't done a recent one just because I'm, I'm caught in the middle of draft stuff right now. But I did, mm -hmm. I did take the time to like go back over Darby. I like him, but I think like what worries me about the Darby signing is I really liked what Washington did when they signed him as a one-year guy. See what you got because he's been hurt a lot and he's going to yeah. kind of streaky. The Broncos are paying him coming off of a career year. And that worries me because they're locked in for two years. And granted, it's not, it's not the most onerous contract. Like they can get out of it eventually. Mm -hmm. But I am kind of nervous about that because he's only been healthy one. He's only made it through one 16 game season in his career dating back to 2015. And that's a lot of money. I agree. Yeah. He's, he's very aggressive, you know, and looks good in coverage, but, and he gets beat over the top a little bit too much for my liking. Um, but like I said, very streaky and a guy that can, can come out and, and make some plays here and there for you. But yeah, you know, being in, being in it for a couple of years and, and giving them a little bit of money, it's, it, it was worrisome a little bit. 
besides those guys, I think, you know, the rest of the guys that, that you touched on and, and those other uh, signings they had, I think are, are mainly like role-playing solid depth type pieces back into the roster type pieces. So, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about a uh, quarterback just a little bit, the Drew Locke uh, situation. If, if he's the guy, you know, maybe you're not looking for a quarterback, but if he's not the guy and you're wanting to bring somebody in and kind of compete with him, maybe you're looking there. Uh, safety, I think, is is a need that we can talk about. Yeah. Linebacker, edge, uh, and, and maybe tackle. I think those are positions, and then even at, at corner as well. One one last question, I guess, before we kind of really dive into draft stuff. Von Miller, I, I just got to get your opinion on it. And again, like, I, I don't know how much you've really looked into it. Uh, he missed last year because of an injury before the season started. 32, I think he's going to be 32 right as the draft, like right around that time. Uh, they had other options. Like at, at the time, like th- the way it was kind of played out in the media, uh, they they waited until the last minute to sign, to, to pick up his team option. But uh, Mike Kliss, who reports on the Broncos, really tied in, was touching on the fact that the Broncos actually were interested in other edge rushers. Look, And I looked at all the veteran edge rushers, and I actually used, like, your guys' stats quite a bit digging into them, and I watched as much tape as I could of it. I thought Von Miller would have been the best free agent edge, even though he had the injury risk, just because that is a risk. But assuming he can come back and you have a one-year contract, I thought it was the right move. Am I just biased? And I might be, but, like, am I just sipping Kool-Aid here? I, I don't think so. I think he's not a guy that just like he just got here and you're you're trying to see, you know, what he's got. He's been a guy that's been one of the top edge rushers in the league for a while. He's been in Denver for a while. Like he's a guy that the team knows, the fans know. You know, I think it was the right move. I think bringing him off even even an injury, you're you're still talking about one of the better athletes in the league, uh especially at that position. And I think you 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 let the season play out. Um it is a little bit of a risk, uh, you know, obviously with coming off of the injury and coming off any injury is, is always a big risk, uh, especially at that position. Uh, but I, I think you have to see what he has. He's a guy that's, you know, put a lot of a lot of hard work into the team. Uh, and I think you have to give him this season and, and whether or not um, you kind of extend him past that or you move on. You, you, I think you have to give the year to him uh, to be able to, uh, you know, determine whether or not uh, what you what you want to do. Well, and that's that's why I like one of my. One of the things I really like that George Payton did is that he picked up the option, but they didn't restructure it, didn't extend him yet. And again, like it's it's kind of cold because again, as a fan, I love Von Miller. Like I, he's the yeah. only jersey I still have. Um, I actually gave away my Chris Harris jersey because it was a whole thing. Like it was, I was in Korea teaching one, of them, and he, yeah. But but Von Miller is like, again, like he's my favorite Bronco forever. But at the same time, like from a from a management perspective, you do have to weigh out the fact that like he's a speed rusher coming off an injury, thirty two, big salary. It made sense to give him a year, see what he has. But I do think that at his age, and then you consider the fact that Malik Reed's going to be a, a restricted free agent after this year, Bradley Chubb is going to have a fifth year option that they'll probably pick up, but he's had some injury stuff. It, I don't think edge is out of the question in terms of like addressing it high. If they don't think they're going to extend Vaughn after this year. Um, and I know that you actually looked at my favorite edge in this class. So I got to ask you kind of, first of all, I, I, I want to kind of ask you, what do you think of this edge class overall? Because I know there's not like a Chase Young. Um, I know right now a lot of people are kind of jumping on Jalen Phillips because of the workouts and saying like mm-hmm. he could be a Joey Bosa if he's, you know. I don't know. I, I, I might be a little bit cool on that. Um, I don't know where you're landing on that. But like what do you think of the edge class overall, first of all? I think I like – if you look at the, the entire body of, of work behind the entire edge class, I think I like it overall. 
there isn't, like you said, there isn't a Chase Young, there isn't a Joey Bosa. There's not a guy that we would rank as kind of that blue chip guy. There's a lot of guys that if you look, you know, late round one through, you know, round three or four, you're, you're going to get a lot of really good players and a lot of good production. Um, Jalen Phillips, you know, he's actually our number one edge yep. and that's and you know, that, uh, athleticism and kind of what he brings is sort of the reason why we had him at number one, because if you look kind of behind him, you look at the, the Russo and those guys, uh, you know, you're looking at the guys that are crazy athletes, but kind of haven't put it all together or maybe still need to fill out a little bit. So that's kind of the reason that we have Phillips at one, but yeah, overall the edge class I think is, is pretty good in the middle. One question I have with Phillips, cause I, I just wrote the report for Phillips that came out yesterday based on this coming out, you know, on Thursday, um, Phillips pressure percentage, him and Quincy Roche, actually their pressure percentages were lower than Quiddy pay Aziz Ojolari. Um, is that at all a concern? Cause like, I do know that the, one of the big knocks on Phillips outside of the injury stuff. Cause like everybody knows about that at this point mm-hmm. is that his hand usage. I know, I know in the reports, that was a thing you guys noted when I watched him, like, I feel like he, he, he shows that he has a lot of moves he'll try and do but he doesn't really string them together. He doesn't really seem like he has a counter. He doesn't like, and, and I don't think he sets up quite as well as like some of like, I, I, again, this is one of the reasons I like Ojolari. I like Ojolari's cross chop a lot. And I feel like he can go to that. I also feel like the fact that he already has it, you can build off of that. Um, I didn't yeah. feel like Phillips has that yet. Yeah. I, I think Phillips is a guy, you know, again, he's a guy that really only played one season. If you look yeah. at it, you know, he played a little bit at UCLA, but you know, with the injuries and everything, um, but we're, we're banking on him having that athleticism to, to develop what he has. Uh, and, and like you said, Ojolari, like that, that's one of my guys. So yep. uh, fun to watch his, his hand use is ridiculous, but uh, yeah, with Phillips, you know, I, I think it's more strength and, and athleticism with him. And I think we're banking on him being able to put it all together a little bit quicker than some of these other guys. Definitely. And, and again, uh, I'm not trying to say this, like I hate Phillips by any means. I just, like those oh, are the, yeah. those are the reasons like that and the meta, like for me like when I make my board I try to first of all I try to like consider like how the Broncos would probably be using them but second of all I always try and do uh like risk versus what I think is reward just because like if I was an if I was an evaluator you can't ignore that stuff I'm also I always admit this to everybody that reads my stuff like obviously NFL teams are gonna have more access to this stuff like NFL teams will be able to vet Phillips medical history in a way that I can't like there's just no way around it. Yeah. But not exactly. knowing that, for me, I'm afraid of him enough that I would not put him over Ojolari right now because I see them yeah. both as really good fits for the Fangio defense, but Ojolari doesn't have the same kind of medical question. Yeah, and that's one of the things with the handbook. We Obviously, we don't have that access either. So yep. um, we base everything and grade everything based on what we see on the field, but then we'll also give you the injury history yep. uh, and, and those injury tags as well because you know we think maybe if we're just looking on the field, we think Phillips is number one. But obviously, if you're looking at the injury concerns, he's probably not going to be the first edge that goes off the board. Um, so that's kind of what we're looking at in giving you the access to, hey, here, here's what he does on the field. He does have an injury history. If you want to make him the number one edge, you can. But if not, maybe, you know, you bump him down a couple of, up a couple of spots because of that extra um, baggage, basically, that he brings. And, and, one, and I got to give you guys credit for this just because we're talking Phillips in the medical history. Um, reading the guide was the first time I had actually realized that it wasn't just the concussions. It was also the wrist. And granted, I've, I've gone in now, like I've dug into it enough that I've tried to figure out more. But like basically for each prospect, it's like that. There's there's some guys that you just don't even realize they had medical stuff until I'm reading this. And I was like, oh, snap. He actually was knocked out of 2000. Not, not Phillips. I, I want to yeah, throw that yeah. out there. Well, just, you know, anyone listening. But not Phillips. But like I was reading the guy and I found out like 
so-and-so was knocked out for a, a bunch of games because of a concussion. And it hadn't even occurred to me because I wasn't looking at his 2018 tape. So it was just one of those things like major kudos yep. for that. It really, that is really nice to know. Um, yeah, our our injury department does a great job. John Varis kind of you know, leads that injury department. He's looking at every single injury in every single game. He's he's listing all that stuff out. And even whenever I write up a report, the first thing I do is I'm going to look at injury history. Uh, and that's one thing, you know, young scouts, if you're trying to get into scouting, looking up the injury history, the character history, all that kind of stuff, and just digging because it's very hard to find sometimes. Uh, just digging in and finding that stuff I think is huge and a lot of people really appreciate uh, that kind of stuff. So they don't have to go and dig it, uh, for themselves. But so let's move on to Ojalar because that was a guy you did a report on and you said it was one of your guys. It's all, like I said, he's my edge one. I love him. Um, what did you think of him? I, yeah, he is, he's a lot of fun. Um, I, I do want to plug in. We actually just, uh, put out an Ojalari uh, film breakdown on our YouTube page. Um, so anyone wants to check that out, but his first step is, is crazy. Uh, you know, not only explosive, but the length that he gets with his first step, he puts offensive linemen at a disadvantage right away. Um, really fun to watch crazy Ben and pass rush ability getting around the edge. His, his number one thing is the speed rush. Um, that's one knock I have on him just a little bit is he kind of uses it just a little bit too much. Um, he does have those other moves like we talked about. Um, but he'll, he'll try and speed a little too much and, and granted no he's very good at it he can he can get around the edge really easily and, and is super bendy with the ankle flexion um but like i said i th think he does it just a little too often um if you're looking at numbers he's second in pressure rate third and pass rush total points per game uh so definitely with the numbers there um but i think the most notable thing with him is his hand use it's, it's crazy to see almost every single play he's able to knock away the tackles hands or arms away and really doesn't allow them to get engaged with him um, so right away, you know, you're looking at the first step length, the explosion, and then the hand use. You're, you're at a really big disadvantage if you're a tackle going up against him. Uh, and, and another thing, he's not only a pass rusher. He can really hold his own as a run defender as well. Um, he's really strong on the edge, can can really set the edge at the point of attack. Uh, and he's a guy that's that's the reason I think he's a, he's a three-down difference maker. He can make the plays, uh, you know, as a pass rusher or on the run game as well. He's one of those guys that I actually broke one of my like, – so normally when I try to scout guys, if I have the access to the tape, I try to start with their early tape and then kind of work through it as yeah. he goes just to see you know how he grows. Because one of the big knocks on Ojulari early in the, the whole draft process in terms of like January-ish uh, was that he was small. I wanted to see how he handled Alabama because Alabama's running game is kind of a different animal compared to everyone else. And mm -hmm. early in his tape, I just see him meeting pulling guards with Deontay Brown. I'm like, yeah, that's – that's BS. He, he can, he can handle it. I'm cool. Yeah. That's actually one of the plays I pulled out uh, in our film breakdown as well as the right guard comes through and, and he just sticks him. Like he doesn't even move a muscle. So uh, yeah, he definitely has some strength there on the edge. Uh, the other thing I really like about him, and this is kind of where I kind of go with the, the rest of the edge class that I have some, as I kind of look at guys that I try and keep in mind, Ojolari actually looks pretty comfortable dropping in this space if he has to. Uh, and Georgia used him doing it. That's one thing I really liked about Phillips' game as well, is he does get asked to do it a little bit. I think Ojolari's better at it, in like better at that than uh, Phillips by a little bit. But Fangio, because first of all, three, four, because, for the listeners, because your uh, edge prospects will end up being either defensive ends or outside linebackers. And that's one of those things that makes a 4 3 versus 3 4 different. But not all 3 4s even ask their edges to actually cover much. When the Broncos had Vance Joseph, I think Vaughn Miller played, I want to say like 10 coverage snaps, something insane, like just none. Um, but last last year, you'll see Bradley Chubb and Malik Reed actually dropping out onto a receiver in the flats. 
Um, the fact that Ojolari can do that for me really kind of, you already see him do it. You know, he can do it. It's not a huge projection. It's one thing I have a concern about with Quiddy Pay is that you don't see him do that much. Yep. Yeah, it's definitely, it's nice to see whenever you're trying to watch a guy and him being able to see, you know, what he's going to do at the next level, because it, it's really hard to find guys in college that are, that are going to be asked to do every single thing they're going to do at the next level. So being able to project is, is obviously one thing you have to do, but being able to see something, especially like that with an edge guy, being able to drop into coverage is definitely good to see if he does it. So one guy I want to ask you about that I know is one of your guys is uh, Carlos Basham. Um, just because yeah. he actually worked out today, he worked out really well. Uh, I have actually haven't watched him much because I thought he was a 4-3 guy based on like his size and stuff. Do you think he could play 3-4? Like, would he be? Because the other the other thing that, like, and again, I'm throwing this out there just for everyone. I know you probably know this, but, like, Bradley Chubb was a 4-3 guy coming out, and he's been yeah. fine in a 3-4. So it's it's not as easy as just saying, oh, he's 4-3, he can't do it. Um, but do you think exactly. Basham could do it? I think he can. I think Basham's a very interesting guy. Um, I think he's best probably as a 4-3 defensive end. But honestly, I think he could play 3-4 defensive end as well. Um He's he's kind of in that that tweener uh, size. I, I don't know what he actually weighed in at, but I think he was around a two eighty range. Yeah, he's a big um, guy. Yeah, so I think he's he can play that four three DN, but I think he can also hold up at that three four as well. Um, he's if you watch his twenty nineteen tape, obviously the the numbers are ridiculous. He had eleven sacks, eighteen tackles for loss, sixty one pressures. But one of the issues for me in twenty nineteen was his motor was very hot and cold. Uh, whenever you get to 2020, it almost completely flipped. The motor was ridiculous. Obviously, he only played a, you know seven games in 2020 compared to, I think, 13 in 2019. Uh, he only had five sacks, like 19 pressures in 2020, but the motor was much better. Um, you know, he's always relentless. He's trying to get to the quarterback. He can make plays in the run game. Uh, so, I yeah, I think he's, he's a very fun guy to watch. If you're getting basically the 2019 production with the 2020 motor, I think he's a guy that we'd be talking about in the first round. Uh, if you kind of put that all together. So I think he's a guy that, you know, if, if you're looking in the, the late second round, third round, uh, I think you're getting a lot of production, and a lot of good value with him. Uh, the other guy I really got to, well, there's two. So I apologize. I kind of like, uh, so Chris Rump, first of all, like I think SIS is higher on him than I've seen everywhere else. Uh, most like other analysts that I've kind of like kept up with, they seem to think Rump is uh, like a designated pass rusher. I like him more than that, just based on the fact that, like, I've, I've watched his tape, and he's disruptive. And they do move him around. Duke does move him around, and he is a little bit smaller, so I can, I can see that. Yeah. Um, but I do think in, like, a specific role, I think he could be a pretty good third down guy. But, like, what, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I, he's got a very long frame, crazy athleticism. Uh, and he's a guy, yeah, I think you can mix, mix up what you do with him. You can put him in a two-point stance, a three-point stance. You can move him over the ball. Uh, but like you said, I think he can play a little bit of coverage. He has good about, good bend around the edge, good range. Um, I, I'm not convinced that Duke actually – like he actually knew what he was doing at Duke. If you watch him play, like you said you did, he's kind of just kind of doing his own thing. Um, he's sort of all over the place. He's lining up right in front of the linebackers half the time. Like He's just kind of going where he wants to and, and kind of just making plays. And I think that they allowed him to do that because of the athleticism. Um, so I think whenever you're looking at a guy that he was very productive, the athleticism, the athleticism's there, the length that he has, if you kind of put all of that together, get him into the NFL and kind of coach him up a little bit. I think he's a guy that's really going to make some production on the edge, not only as a pass rusher, but I think he can drop into coverage as well. Anatomy of an ad. 
subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. And so everybody, so I do a lot of mock drafts just because it's an easy way to kind of share guys as I watch them. And Rumpf is always one of those guys that like the mock draft machine at uh, the draft network, he's always around where I pick on day three. And I'm always like, mm-hmm. yeah, why wouldn't I take him? It just feels exactly. like I'm stealing. I, I think he's probably in that third to fourth round range. I think somebody could bet on his athleticism in the third round uh, and, and kind of hope that they can mold that. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if it falls to, to four just because of, you know, a little bit of the ability of he's not really knowing what he's doing or it might take a little while to get him to develop. The the other guy that kind of fits into the the projection type mode is just, and I haven't actually gotten a ch- chance to see him because I don't have his tape. Uh, Ellerson Smith, um, he's a guy, like I read your report and I was immediately like, I'm very intrigued uh, just because small school guys that are freaky athletes to me, it's like, you're kind of, a lot of guys are sleeping on him because they, they, they came out of nowhere. But a lot of times these guys come out of nowhere. They end up in the NFL. They end up in an NFL strength and conditioning program. And a year down the road, all of a sudden they're, they're, they're players. Um, yep. Is it, is that kind of like, am I, am I close with Smith or am I like far off? Cause like, I, I feel like I'm higher on the idea of him than your report even gives like, cause I think I want to say he's a 5.9 for you. Uh, yes. And that's a top backup uh, uh, slash like quality special teamer, which again, that's a valuable thing. And for the Broncos, like he'd be edge four. So like, that's an easy role for him to fit. Do you think like, but what, what yeah. do you think of him? Yeah, I agree basically with what you're saying. I see him more as that three, four outside linebacker type. He's, he is kind of on that tweener uh, size-wise. I think if he puts on a lot of weight, he could kind of put his hand in, in the ground as more of that 4-3 defensive end type. Um, but if he stays kind of where he's at, he does need to put on the muscle. He does need to get stronger. Uh, he's he's pretty thin, uh, you know, but that long frame, good, but the extension and, and leverage and stuff. Um, but, yeah, I think he's a guy that you get him to the next level. He didn't play this year, obviously. So yep. he you know, played in 2019, went to the Senior Bowl, played well. Uh, and he's a guy who has good hands, uh, good the good length, good pass rush moves. He, he's a guy that does mix up the pass rush moves really well. A lot of speed rushes and swipes around the edge, but he'll mix in that speed to power, the push pulls, the swims, things like that. Um, but, yeah, I think he is a guy that he, if you really get in, get him stronger uh, and get him you know, with the ability to kind of put everything together, uh, I think you can put him on the edge and he can really, uh, you know, be a good rotational guy, especially for the Broncos, you know, what they're, what they would do. I think they would use him pretty well. Yeah. He's a guy I'm excited about. I, I, again, I, the thing with Von Miller is like, again, I, this is like, I, I've gone back and forth on this. Like there's a, there's guys at the top of this round. Like you mentioned, like the end of the first top, top of the second type guys, like again, Ojolari, if like they get a guy like that, I really like them. Cause I'm, I'm pretty high on a lot of the players in this class. 
But the problem if you're taking a first round or even a top of the day two guys, it almost kind of starts to put a clock on what you're doing with Von Miller. And yeah. I don't know if they've made a decision yet on him. So it's like, I kind of like the idea of taking like a Chris Rump or an Ellison Smith, like a little bit later. And then like down the road, like if that guy is good enough that you can kind of do whatever you can, but you don't have to, it kind of gives you some yeah. flexibility. Exactly. Uh, so you've looked at, you looked at some nose tackles and some defensive tackles. So like, since we're kind of in the defensive front, I'm going to, I would like to ask you some of this too. Um, yep. I've been really low on these defensive line class uh, just because first of all, like the Broncos don't necessarily need a defensive lineman, but you almost always want to kind of keep an open mind to investing in your trenches. Um, but I have felt like basically like a lot of people say it's like basically Christian Barmore and Ali McNeil, but you didn't actually watch either of those guys and you actually gave some pretty good grades out. So like, I'd like to know, like, what do you think of the defensive line class like as a whole, but then also like, I'm, I'm going to kind of probably pick your brain on some of these guys, if you don't mind. Yeah, I think the top end, you know, you mentioned Barmore uh, and, you know, McNeil, some of those guys. I think the top end is pretty good, but those couple of guys, it kind of filters out a little bit thin, sort of in the middle rounds. And then you have a lot of backups and, um, you know, kind of rotational guys beyond that. Uh, so, yeah, obviously Barmore is really good. McNeil is really good. Um, you know, I like both those guys. Didn't watch them in depth, um, but I think they bring a lot to the table. And if you're looking at, the, at one of those guys in the first round, I don't think you can really go against it. What do you think of Tommy Togiai? Uh, because I I actually saw it like he has a similar grade to Ali McNeil, uh, and I haven't watched it. Like I've watched Ohio State's defense, but I haven't watched him. Um, yep. How do you think like he kind of stacks up? We have him as a, as a number two nose tackle, so I think he does fit in as better as that four three nose playing more of that one tech. Um, you know, I think he could actually play a, a three four nose or even bump out to to five tech and a three four as well. Um, I, I went in watching him. I watched him late. Uh, obviously, you knew the Ohio State defense is really good. Yeah. Um, but I didn't really know what I was going to go into and, and, and see whenever I started watching him. And I was definitely surprised and, and you know very intrigued once I started watching him. Uh, very strong guy at the point of attack. He's very disruptive on the interior. Uh, mixes up the power and the finesse moves to get to the quarterback. So he's not really that one-trick pony from the inside. Uh, and he also brings mass, mismatch ability. Uh, you don't have a lot of nose tackles that can bring, you know, be more of a mismatch. Yeah. You just have a lot of those plugs in the middle of the of the defense there. Um, but he really gives interior linemen a, a lot to handle. Quick and powerful, uh, which is it's definitely a, a lethal combo whenever you're talking about the inside there. So you're looking at going up against centers and guards. I think he's a guy that that really gives them a tough time. Uh, and, and again, he's he's someone that is going to get to the quarterback in the pass game, but he's also going to make plays more as that two gapping guy in the run game as well. And that's so, and I keep, I keep, I, I've, I've kind of fooled myself back in 2018 thinking that Vic Fangio is going to want size just because he had Akeem Hicks and Eddie Goldman when he was with the Bears. And the Broncos really haven't done that at all. Like they've gone the other way. Like Draymond Jones, McTelvin, Ajim, like they're both like 300 pounds or less. And then you have yeah. Mike Purcell. Uh, so I keep thinking that, like, as soon as I fall asleep on this altogether, he's going to go and draft a nose tackle who could be an Eddie Goldman. And so, like that's that's like when I saw your report with Togi, that's like why I was like, maybe he's the guy. Like that's what that's what has kept me kind of on the Lee McNeil hook, is I keep thinking yeah. like he's like the Eddie Goldman, like if that's what they want to do. Um, so, I, I I think the defensive line grades from you guys are is definitely good enough that I think again, because the Broncos have Draymond Jones, Mattel Najee, Meg Purcell, and then behind those three, they actually they they re-signed Shelby Harris, 
which I liked because I didn't really like this defensive line free agency class much either. Um, and it was a flexible deal. I like that. It's like essentially a two-year deal. But they essentially have like a four deep in terms of their defensive line. And they had Deshaun Williams, who he played pretty well last year. I do think that they could still take another guy because like they tend to carry five to six. Um, mm-hmm. So the guys that kind of stood out to me there, though, was uh, Davion Nixon. Um, there's people that want him like mid first. Like I've seen people that are really high on him. What do you think of him? I like him a lot. I I actually charted a couple of Iowa games whenever the Big Ten finally got started this year, and I kept seeing this guy. I was like, all right, this guy keeps making plays. I don't know who this is, but he's making plays. And I actually wrote his name down. And then all of a sudden, you know, a couple of weeks later, he's coming out in mock drafts in round one. And then all of a sudden at the, at the end of the season, he comes out and, and declares. So, uh, yeah, he's a guy strong at the point of attack, plays with good leverage, um, able to stack and shed uh, defenders really well. Third in the handbook, if you're looking at total points per game. Um, and, you know, other than those, obviously he flashed enough for me to, you know, catch my eye and everything. But he's a guy that's not really that flashy. He's not a, a super flashy guy that you're going to be like, all right, this guy's just making play after play after play. He just does everything really well. Um, so he's going to hold in there. He's obviously going to get to the quarterback really well. He makes plays in, in, in the run game too, but he's just a guy that is, is a steady Eddie type of guy. He's just not going to be that super flashy type, but yeah, he's our number two defensive tackle. And, you know, I have him as a three down player. I, I think I, I like him a lot and maybe the, you know, the middle of the first round's a little rich, but if you're looking on the back end of the first round, I think that's somewhere that he could possibly go. Uh, and then I guess one other thing that I kind of wanted to ask you about with this is, uh, People get caught up in like one gapping versus two gapping. Um, but how important do you think that is? Like, because like again, with the Broncos having Jerry Mott Jones, Mattelman Ajima, like these guys, like Mattelman Ajima, especially this showed up is like he's not necessarily stout at the point of attack yet. Maybe in time, like he'll get better. But like mm-hmm. that was a huge issue that showed up on tape. Like, if that's like a concern, like how much should that hurt a guy like around that top of the first round range? Like if you're looking at David Nixon, because like and I'm just kind of like as a general thought, not necessarily saying that David Nix is bad at it, but just like, yeah. Cause like with defense yeah. tackles now, like it's a passing league. I know like for one thing, I, I think whenever it comes to, whenever you're talking about the defensive line, especially in the three, four, I think, I think you're looking at guys, especially in the way that the league is, like you said, it's a passing league. I think first and foremost, you're trying to get guys that can get to the quarterback. I think you can find enough guys that can really plug in there and be two gappers and, and be good enough in the run game. But do you have a guy that can really come out there and get to the quarterback? Um, you know, that's a reason why we we grade, you know, nose tackles or, or defensive tackles yeah. the way that we do is we're, we're saying this, can this guy rush the passer? If this guy can't get to the passer, he has to drop all the way down to a certain grade because he can't play on third down. Um, so I want a guy that's going to be able to play out there you know, for all three downs and not a guy that's just going to be out there for the run game. So really I'm going to want a guy that probably can – can one gap better than he can, you know, two gap, or at least I'm going to be looking at that because, you know, if I'm going to rush the passer, I'm most likely going to be one gapping. But if you look at a three, four, you're probably going to be two gapping a little bit more often. Um, So I'm going to want a guy that is really going to know what he's doing, be a smart guy and can, you know, two gap and see that, Hey, they're in, they're passing now shed this guy and get to the, to the quarterback anyway. So I, I think I'm looking at looking at the pass rush if he can rush the passer, whether it's one gapping or two gapping, I think I'm looking for that guy. Uh, you know, whether it's in the middle to back into the first round, if it's a guy that, you know, you're just plugging in, he could definitely two gap, but it's more of a run gap, you know, run stopping two gap. I'm probably not looking at him, you know, high in the draft because I can probably get a few of those guys, uh, you know, later on, uh, you know, day two, day three. 
is that is that one of the things that like hurt Bobby Brown's grade in terms of I saw that he has a five point eight uh in five point eight for for the nose was average backup one position only uh and obviously being a nose tackle that means he's a nose tackle so that means he probably doesn't contribute a lot to passing downs. Yeah, he he actually you know was up there a little bit on leaderboards and stuff. He had good sack numbers and stuff this year, but I, I just didn't see it in terms of doing it consistently. I see him more as you know, like we've been talking about. I see him more as that plug in the middle of the of the defensive line. Um, he's he's definitely very strong at the point of attack and stuff like that. Um, but I, I worry about the the pass rush at the next level, and, and that's kind of why we have him a little bit lower. Uh, but I, I think he can definitely be a guy that you, you're you're wanting a two gapping you know plug. Uh, in the run game, you know, definitely get him later in the in the draft, and you can plug him in on on first and second down. So, kind of pivoting to the other offensive, like to the offensive line, since we're on the, the trenches, if that's cool. Um, yep. you've you've looked at some of the guys that like I've been really conflicted about. So, like, I that's kind of why I want to bug you about this. Um, so the, the the thing that's complicated for me, like as I as I like look at offensive line like reports and like as I'm watching guys is the Broncos run more po- – like, they run a lot more gap than people, like, I think pe- people realize. Um, mm-hmm. Like, people watch the Miami game, they see all this pin and pull, and they're like, oh, they're running this fancy scheme. Like, what are they doing? But the Broncos were actually running quite a bit of gap all year. Like, I, I want to say that they ran gap more as a top-10 rate in the NFL, which doesn't mean that they weren't running zone because they also ran quite a bit of inside zone, especially with Melvin Gordon. That's, like, what his best concept is. Yeah. Um, but when you're evaluating prospects, then that means you have to actually like try and keep in mind the guy needs to be able to get vertical displacement as well as have the mobility to play in zone. Um, mm-hmm. and, it, and, it, and it's actually one of those things that like I, when Munchak was first hired, it got actually really through me is the Broncos went and signed Juwan James. And up to that point, like you read all Juwan James stuff. And when I watched him, his best concepts were like outside zone, like he's best climbing up. So like for, for a scheme like that, like how, like of the guys you've watched, who really stands out to you in terms of like could actually play in a role like where they're doing both, but still play tackle? Because I'm pretty convinced that the Broncos are going to try and find a right tackle of the future if they can, because I think Jawan James is his contract and Garrett Bowles contract make it. So unless the cap explodes next year, and I don't think it is, he's going to be one of those guys that they cut to try and afford Justin Simmons boom before 2023. Um, Like, does, does anybody kind of like stand out to you that you've watched that like could kind of be that guy? Because I don't, I don't necessarily think it has to be a high draft pick because they have Munchak, but I do know that it's something that they're probably going to be trying to prepare for. Yeah, I think we can talk about two guys here. So the highest tackle that I graded was Dylan Radens from North Dakota State. So he was a guy. Whenever I first watched him, I was sort of conflicted on him as well. I was actually a little bit lower on him than I think a lot of people were. And then as I watched him a little bit, as it got to the Senior Bowl, he he looked a little bit better than I thought. Um, if you look at his build, his athleticism, you th- immediately think of a guy. Hey, this guy's a left tackle. Uh, and I do think that he's probably going to get his first shot over at the left side, depending on obviously where he goes and what the situation is there. Uh, but I think he's actually a better fit on the right side. Um, he's a really good run blocker. Finishes plays. Redirects well, um, you know, good job com- comboing and getting to the to the second level. Uh, I think what he does in the run game really fits for the right side. Um, in the pass game, his pad level gets a little high. He'll overset a little bit, so I'm a little bit worried, uh, you know, on, on that left side. But I do think if he improves the footwork, improves the quickness, uh, I think he could be a solid left tackle. But I really do think that the way it stands right now, his um, you know his skill set, his traits, I think actually fit better on that right side. He'll obviously probably need to get a little bit bigger, a little stronger, 
uh, to fit over there. But I like him as, as a right tackle. I like him being able to play in the zone scheme. I like him being able uh, to play in the gap scheme as well. I think he is a scheme versatile guy. One thing too, sorry. One thing too that I mentioned that I saw that in your report too is that you think that he could serve it like early in his career, possibly as like a backup on the interior as well. Um, yeah. And that's something like for me. And again, like I, I'm sure NFL teams feel this way too. The more you can do, the better you are. Like teams only carry so many offensive linemen into games, and so you never know. And like again, Juwan James has played 65 snaps for the Broncos since signing two thousand in 2019. So like it pays to have somebody who can play wherever. So exactly. He's, he's a guy I've been intrigued by. Yeah, he's in, you know, not everybody can play every position. So being able to find those guys, like you said, you're probably only dressing seven or eight guys. And obviously, you know, if you have a backup at every position, position that means that's 10. You're not dressing 10 guys. Uh, so you're going to have to have guys that can play multiple spots. I don't think Raiden's is very, you know, very good yeah. for a starter at the inside. Um, but if he needed to, to back up and kick in there, if somebody got hurt, I think he could do it. Get you out of a game. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then the other guy that I kind of was thinking about is Robert Hainsey at Notre Dame as well. Um, we're a little, you know, I, th I think at a six, three, we think of him as a swing tackle, but honestly, the first thing that comes to mind with him is versatility. Uh, if you watch him at the senior bowl, I think he played every position and he was doing it well at every position. Um, he's a guy, you know, we have rated as that backup swing tackle. Um, basically we're saying that he's not elite at, at really anything, but he's good enough at just about everything. Uh, better pass blocker than run block blocker has the athleticism and footwork to kind of mirror defenders lacks the overall strength in the run game a little bit. Um, but I think I like what he does. Obviously that's the big thing with him is the versatility. You're looking at, at a guy like that. You bring him in, whether he's just a backup or not, it doesn't matter. You have one guy go down, he can play wherever it is. Um, so I, I think I like him, uh, you know, just being a backup uh, really wherever you need him to play. Very cool. Um, so kind of, I want to talk about Jackson Carmen just a little bit, just because I've seen him both as a tackle and a guard and you, you have him as a guard. Um, I, I assume, and I, again, like I haven't watched him. So like, I, I, you know, forgive me this. I assume it's because he can't pass block in vertical sets well enough. Is that's, that's usually like when a guy is kind of both, I always kind of assume it has to do with his pass blocking. Am I, am I kind of on the money here? Yeah, exactly. That's the biggest thing with him. I, he struggled so much with speed. You put speed on the edge and he had a tough time. He just has heavy feet. Pad level can raise a little bit. Um, so yeah, I struggled with him being on the outside. I think if you kick him inside, his his skill set, his nastiness, finishing ability, um, heavy hands, uh, you know, really gives a jolt to defenders and and his run blocking ability, I think is something that really can can play at the next level whenever you kick it inside. And whether it's left side, right side, I think you put him at guard, he's gonna do a lot of good things. Uh, so then I guess I'm pivoting again. So I apologize. Like we're kind of bouncing a lot. Uh, linebacker is kind of like, so the Broncos didn't do anything at linebacker, like in free agency, everyone kind of expected them to. I honestly was glad they didn't because I thought this free agency class was cheeks. Uh, but they have Josie Jewell who's he overperformed last year, but he's still kind of at best. He's probably a backup. Alexander Johnson. He's. In my opinion, he's a very, very good run defender. Very, very good on blitzes. He's good in dropping into zone, but I would not want him manned up on people. Um, and the Broncos ran quite a bit of man. So, like, it, it, the last year, it looked like there was reports that they were going to try and trade up to get Patrick Queen. Um, they also sniffed around a couple other, like, 
kind of big ticket free agent linebacker. So like, I do think that this is a position that they're going to try and address um, personally, just because like, this is my whole thing. Like, I hope they don't go really, really high in the draft to do it just because I think there's bigger needs that you can address in the first round, but you looked at a, a couple of my favorite guys. So like, I have to ask you about that, but also like, I feel like this linebacker class is underrated. Like it's, it's pretty damn good. Like, what do, what do you think? Yeah, I like it. Um, you know, we don't have the the high end guys at, at either the Mike or the Will position. But if you look at, you know, the six sevens and, and below, really, you're looking at like six, five to six, seven. There's a lot of good talent in there. Um, you know, whether it's at Mike or at Will, I, there's a lot of good coverage linebackers this year uh, and, a, and a lot of good run stuffers as well. So I think if you look at the linebacker class as a whole, I think, you know, getting guys in that second or third round, I think is going to be some big value and a lot of production this year. And kind of based on like what I, and again, because Josie Jules is a restricted free agent, he might be gone after this year, especially he's, I think he's going to be 30. So like the, the Broncos may very well end up drafting two linebackers, but I, I feel like they almost definitely will be chasing a will. Um, and the two guys that I saw that you looked at was Jabil Cox and uh, Jamin Davis. Davis, like after today's workouts, I don't know if you saw this, but like there are people floating him as like a top 10 type of pick right now. And again, that to yeah. me feels a little rich just because I do think that he has to get a little bit better at the point of attack, but I like him a lot. Like, and I think he can play that coverage role that that's what I'm again, my preference is I want coverage backers if I'm drafting an off ball backer. And I think both him and Cox can do it. Um, what do you think? Yeah, yeah I, absolutely. His, his athleticism is crazy. And that, that tells you the pro day today. I think he had about a 42 inch vertical or something yeah. today and, and the 40 was under four or five. So ridiculous. Uh, yeah. I think you hit it on the head there. He's a guy that I don't really trust in the box uh, needs to develop a lot, get stronger at the point of attack, but his, his range coverage ability, crazy out in space. Um, if you look at uh, among the wills in the book, most tackles per game with the lowest broken tackle rate. So that's obviously a pretty good, uh, you know, good thing to have there. Uh, yeah. He's a guy that I think I, I thought I was a little high on him originally whenever I watched him. Um, and, and I think I was banking on the athleticism. I think his coverage was just too good. Um, so I, I think you play him at will. I think he's really going to do some good things. And obviously the athleticism is, is showing up on tape. And obviously whenever you see the pro day that he did today, uh, it all kind of matches up. Uh, uh, Amin Ogbongbibinga. Yep. I'm like, I saw that you were quite high on him, but also like, I am very intrigued because what stands out to me, the fact that you had his range is pretty high. Despite uh, on your weaknesses, you actually noted you met, you mentioned his play speed. Um, so that to me tells me that he's instinctual, and that's a that's obviously yeah. a good thing for a linebacker. Um, like, where where are you at with him? Because again, like I've read the report, but I'd love to pick your brain on him. Yeah, L linebackers are tough. They're tough to watch because it's hard to it's hard to really see instincts. Um, that's yeah. one of the tougher things to scout. Um, but yeah, when when it comes to him. I, again, he's another guy that I thought I was going to be a little bit high on it. And I probably am compared to a lot of other places I, you know, you don't see too many of uh, too many places that have his name anywhere, but yeah, I think he's a guy that you really want in the middle of your defense. Like, he communicates well, he reads flow. He is instinctual. He disrupts receivers in those middle zones. Um, I think he had a 31% pressure rate, which ranked first in, in, among the mics in the book. So he not only can, you know, he'd stuff the run, but he's also getting to the passer as well. Uh, yeah, I do think he lacks a little bit of the speed struggles to shed from now, uh, you know, from time to time. Uh, but I, I like the instincts there. I, it was just hard. Like I look at him as a six, five, like 
maybe he is, maybe he isn't, maybe he needs to go lower. And then I start looking lower. Like I, I can't go that low on this guy. I think I like too much for him. So uh, yeah, I think he's a guy that's interesting in the middle rounds for sure. Well, and that's, and that's one of those things that that's one of the reasons I really love the way you guys uh, grade your players because like that, that just, just cause like for me, when we, when we start to worry about, and like, again, we're in the middle of, you know, the month right before the draft. So everyone's doing this right now. Everyone's so caught up in where the guy's going to necessarily go when they, and they almost forget the fact, the fact that that's actually the start of his NFL career. So like, I don't really yeah. care where he goes. Like, I mean, I want him, like, you know, he's one of those guys, like if the Broncos get him at in third day, seeing that report from you is like, he may very well be like the next Todd Davis. And I love it. Like I'm, I'm all for that guy because like you, for the way I view day three guys, like as in general, basically after the fourth round, the overall is you grab a guy on day three, you just want him to stick. Like the yeah. hit rate on those day three guys tends to start to fade out really fast. So it's like when you're drafting guys, even beyond like your needs, you take guys that you think are good NFL players that are, or that are going to be good NFL players. And I read your report and I think he's going to be. Yeah. It, it, the draft is tough. Like, obviously, you know, it's, it's hard to really, you know, pick where these guys are going to go. Obviously the, the guys in the first and second rounds, these are, these are the guys you need to hit on those guys. Yeah. But the, the draft is one, you know, on day three, you, you got to find these guys and you got to find the guys that are going to be able to fill out your roster, fill out the back end of your roster, be the role players. Uh, and if you're good at drafting on day three, I think that's, you look at the teams that are good and making the playoffs is because they're good drafting, you know, on day two and day three. And I mean, the Broncos, uh, football outsiders doesn't adjust the game's loss metric. Uh, and according to that metric, the Broncos have been one of the most injury plagued teams in football the last two years. So like getting depth is always good. So like, I'm, I'm all for it. Exactly. Yep. Uh, one kind of, and that's kind of a good transition, I think, because the Broncos actually played 10 corners last year, which is, I think one of the reasons it will, first of all, like that's that in and of itself is nuts. But what scares me again, going back to Darby is when you look at Darby and Bryce Callahan between the two of them. They've only played in one 16 game season once in their career between the two of them. And we're now moving to 17 games. So like the odds of them play both playing the full season is pretty low. And then you look at the Broncos depth chart behind them, like outside of Fuller, uh, Essing Bassey's coming off an ACL tear. Duke Dawson's coming off an ACL tear. Michael Ojemudia was benched at one point last year. And again, like I'm very high on him. I think he could, you know, could improve in year two, but he was benched last year. So it's no guarantee. Um, so like they're, they, they almost definitely are going to have to draft a corner. Um, George Payton going back to his time with the Vikings, like they invest in cornerbacks. So I would expect them to, uh, and you actually looked at a lot of cornerbacks and some of these guys are guys that like, I've been very intrigued by too. Um, I don't know how much you've kept up with like each, I, mean, I assume you do, but I, I don't want to like, you know, put that on you. But like the fact that Caleb Farley, I saw your guys's medical stuff before everything kind of came out. But then the fact that he didn't work out at his pro day because of the back, like how big a concern is that for you? I think it's, it's definitely a concern. Um, the fact that he has, he has the, another issue essentially with it, especially when you're talking about a guy who is probably going to go in the top half of the first round. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think he can be a guy that, that you're going to want to be comfortable taking in that area. You know, I think he's, he's going to be one of those guys, you know, every year there's always guys that, that fall a little bit because of the injury concerns. And I think he's going to be one of those guys this year, um, which is tough because if you look at, the, look at him on the field, he's, he's ridiculous. So um, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. It's definitely a concern for us. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see with him. He was one of those guys that before this came out, I had him and Patrick Sertan, like one, two, like real close. And I liked, I liked Farley's fit in the Fangio defense better, but mm -hmm. I just, I just, 
the thing that I liked about uh, Sertan is the fact that like he played last year for one, like, and I don't hold, I don't hold opt-outs against guys. Like I'm not that guy, but I, but it is the, th- the fact that like we haven't seen Farley play for a year and that's a little bit scary just cause you have to project a yeah. little bit. Um, but that exactly. said, like I, I loved him. And then I still like, if the Broncos draft him, I'm still really excited because he's one of those guys. Like if he can kind of put this stuff behind him, you might end up having a top 10 type of player, but there yeah. is definitely a risk involved. Yeah, for sure. He's, he's one of those high risk players, but yeah, like you said, like whatever you see on, on, on the field, if you can get what he did in 2019 here in 2021 with, with the injury issues, with taking a year off, I think you're, you're going to be looking in pretty good shape. So a couple other guys, uh, I've watched Tyson Campbell bits, but then I got really, I was actually, so here's when I first turned on Ojolari's tape, I was actually going to watch Tyson Campbell. And then on the first like five plays, I was like, okay, I'm watching Ojolari. Like I got to watch him. <laughs> so I've watched like briefly parts of Campbell um, based on like watching other players, but I haven't focused on him. Uh, I saw that you were pretty high. I would love to kind of pick your brain. Cause he's one of those guys. He was a former five-star recruit, very athletic. I was worried about him fitting the Broncos defense because Fangio doesn't play press or he hasn't pressed as much. Um, is that an issue? Do you think with him? Because I know the Georgia corners, they were, they were pretty, pretty handsy. Yeah. Yeah. They definitely press a lot. Um, I've watched a lot of Georgia the last couple of years. Uh, I think he was definitely inconsistent. That was one of the biggest things with him. It was hard to sometimes hard to see like, Hey, he's doing good here. He's not, he's struggling a little bit here. It just happened a little bit too much for my liking. Um, but you look at his athleticism. He's definitely a good athlete plays with good speed. He's definitely physical. Like you said, he's definitely handsy. And that's what a lot of those corners are. Um, smart player does lack a little bit of awareness, uh, the change of direction ability and stuff. And and I I do worry a little bit about the press, uh, but but I'm a little bit more looking for, whenever you're looking for a corner, you want the off man ability yeah. because then that tells you the, the reactive athleticism, the transition ability. Like I can, I can find guys that can press, um, but can this guy play, you know, if, if he's five yards off. So uh, that's a little bit of the issue. You know, we, we have him as our 12th corner. I think he's still up there. We have a lot of corners in the book this year. Um, He was inconsistent. If he can put it all together, I think he can be a a, a solid player. And one thing you, you mentioned uh, in the, in the report, you mentioned the, the awareness questions about his zone coverage. Is that one of those things that you think like landing with like a team, like with the right coaching, do you think that's one of those things that improve in time? Cause one of the other things I always try and keep in mind when I'm reading reports is, and again, I'm asking like, what is teachable versus what isn't, which is one of the reasons why I do like, like, and I'll get to him in a second, but like why Elijah Molden, my questions about Elijah Molden are harder to like really answer because I think mm-hmm. his big questions are athleticism based where like a Tyson Campbell or Aaron Robinson too. Some of the stuff is like inconsistencies or his awareness. Like, do you think that stuff is like, like for Tyson Campbell specifically, do you think his like eyes can get better in time in terms of zone and awareness? And yeah, it's definitely tough. Some, especially the cornerback position, that's hard. Like you got to have the instincts, you got to have the the reactive athleticism and, and things like that. And you kind of hope that some of this stuff starts to come with it. Um, but it's it's definitely a good question. Um, you hope that the eyes can get there. I, I think that's something that can uh, come in a, with a little bit of time. Again, we're not not in the the business of trying to develop his eyes for another three or four years, yeah, but yeah. you know, you got to hope after, after a year, maybe a year and a half, it can, it can kind of get there. I think that can be taught. Like, Hey, start to get your eyes in, in, in the right places, especially if you're playing a lot of zone. I think you, you can develop the, the zone skills a little bit better than you can the man skills. Um, you can kind of transition from being a good man defender to a zone defender better than you can transition from, you know, zone to man. 
so I think he's got a little bit of a leg up to you know being able to to kind of put it all together. You just actually put like two like put into the air why I'm concerned about the Ojemudia pick back when it happened last year is because he was a zone corner and then he was drafted and they basically talked about how he could learn to play man. And I was like, mm-hmm. but he hasn't done it. So like, I was like, that's kind yeah. of a concern. And he, again, he got burnt quite a bit doing that kind of stuff. But uh, Aaron Robinson's actually a guy that when I've read other reports, I actually thought he wasn't a fit for the Broncos at all um, because some of the other reports basically make him out to be just a press corner or just a slot. Mm-hmm. You, you actually have kind of opened my eyes to the fact that he might actually be a guy. I haven't watched him yet. I need to actually go and watch him. Um, like, should I, like, should I spend some time with this guy? Cause it sounds like he's, he could be a good fit. Yeah, he's the, he's another interesting guy. I was a little lower on him at first whenever I started to watch him. I watched a little bit more. I, I saw him at the Senior Bowl. He did a little bit more uh, than I originally thought when I first saw him. Definitely plays a lot in the slot, uh, plays a lot in press. Um, but I think he's a guy that that is definitely versatile. I think he can play on the outside. I think he can press. I think he can play off a little bit. I even think he can play a little bit of strong safety if you wanted him to. He's kind of got that build and that physicality, um, plays a lot of good special teams as well. Uh, but yeah, I think he is a guy that I don't think you can, you really need to pigeonhole him. I think he is somebody that can kind of play in different styles and different schemes. Uh, and one thing on your report, you mentioned is inconsistent fundamentals. I was just kind of wondering mm-hmm. like what you kind of had in mind with that, just because like, like I see it and I, I, like my mind starts to go a couple different places with it. So I'm just wondering what you meant. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Yeah, and, and I think this may be a little bit more of UCF's defense. The more that I watched it, I kind of watched some of the backups and, and kind of see if it was just him or if it was somebody else. But he kind of gets turned around a little bit too much. So yeah. instead of kind of keeping his eyes in the backfield on a man or, or you know at the quarterback, anything like that, he kind of flips his flips his head, starting to look you know back behind him, and then starting to turn back around. Uh, I, I worry about that a little bit, but I do think some of it was taught um, you know by UCF's coaching staff. Um, because it did look, uh, you know, on the opposite side or when the backups came in, they were kind of doing something a little bit similar. Uh, but he did a little bit more than I think uh, what was actually taught. So that's one thing that was just a little bit of worry for me. I don't think it's a huge issue. Um, but I think, you know, getting turned around, especially at the cornerback position, is not something that you want. Definitely. Uh, and, and I already kind of mentioned Elijah Bolden. My, my big concern with him is the athleticism. I, and again, we knew he wasn't going to be an elite athlete. Like everyone knew he wasn't going to be the 4-3 guy. Um, his testing numbers actually, even then though, they did kind of still catch me, um, four, five, nine in the 40, which is, it's not terrible if he's a nickel, like it's, you can live with that mm-hmm. as a nickel, I think. But what, what I was concerned about is his agility numbers were pretty bad too. Um, I don't know if you keep up with, uh, they do a, a relative athletic score is a Kent, Kentley Platt. He does these. I don't know if you've seen these, 
But uh, yep. Elijah Molden's, I, I want to say it came in as a four three nine, which is pretty bad. It's in the it's in the red. Um, is yeah. he a nickel only? Like, and again, if he's a nickel only, I'm I, I love him. So like that's why I have to ask. I I yes. can buy in on him as a nickel only, but is that what he is? Yeah, he he's definitely not somebody I want on the outside. Uh, I think he's probably the best slot corner in this class, to, to be honest. I think he I is just a nickel-only guy, but you put him in the slot, I think he's going to be really good. He actually led all corners in the book this year in coverage total points in the slot. Uh, so I think he's definitely a guy. I think he has enough reactive athleticism to stay with with the receivers. Um, and, again, I think the the size limitations a little bit, the, uh, the overall athleticism I do have a little issue with, but I think he's disruptive. He's a, a good cover corner. And I think he's got a little ver- versatility too, because Washington even used him as a safety. Now I, I don't think he you know fits as a safety in the NFL. I think the size is a little bit of an issue there, but if you wanted to roll him back and play as a free safety, you know, for a play here and there, I think his, his instincts and ball skills are good enough to allow him to do that. And then the last, the last guy that you watched that again, I've, I've watched bits and pieces of him. Um, but I keep going back and forth on if he's a fit because I have also read a lot of reports and the tackling has been a big thing that's shown up in like basically all the reports I've seen for him. Um, at some point, one person on Twitter called him soft. So again, I don't know if that's like a thing. I'm not trying to bash him again. No, this is personal for me. Like, and I'm sure it's not for you either, but I've seen that stuff. And like Fangio asks his corners to tackle. Um, and you actually gave him a four for open field tackling and a five for run support. So like, do you think that can improve? Do you think that like, what, what, like, like, should I fall off this wagon? Like, cause again, like what I've seen from him in coverage, I like. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's hard because whenever you're looking at corners, obviously, you know, we grade tackling, you know, for a reason, because, you know, you want guys to tackle, especially in the open field. You want these guys to be able to make plays in the open field because maybe they're the last line of defense. But whenever you're looking at corners, that's probably the last thing that you're looking at is the guy being able to help and run support and his tackling ability because I want him to be able to cover guys. Uh, so it's definitely not something that you just want to discount uh, altogether. But on the other hand, you don't you do want to look at the coverage ability. If he has outstanding coverage ability, but maybe he can't tackle. All right, I'm taking that guy and I'll teach him. Hey, you need to start trying to tackle a little bit. Whether that's actually going to be something that he'll want to do. It, Cause that's going to be a lot of coachability yeah. um, guys wanting to tackle and wanting to get into, um, you know, scrums and piles and stuff like that is a lot of, you know, that tells you a lot of the, you know, who they are, the physicality that they're going to bring and, and kind of the coachability that they're going to have. Uh, but yeah, like I said, if, if he can cover, I'll, I'll live with the, uh, the fact that maybe he can't tackle as well. Cool. Uh, so kind of like pivoting over to safety, like, you know, as the like true last line of defense, like cream Jackson is, on a one-year contract, he's probably not coming back because at his age, like it's if you keep him back, like you keep him with an idea that you're going to probably try and replace him at some point. Combine that with the fact that like Justin Simmons' contract number, I want to say it comes up to eighteen point nine million. I guess the cap next year, they're probably not yeah. going to pay another safety quite a bit of money. They're going to probably try and draft somebody to play next to him. Uh, and you looked at quite a few of the safeties, and actually, you looked at come my favorite safeties, uh, Ardarius Washington is SIS's second safety. Um, and again, I, I watched the TCU defense quite a bit because I was watching Morig and I kept catching myself like, oh man, look at Washington. Um, yeah. And I love the fact that TCU runs a lot of too high also. So it makes it really easy in my mind to project that in quarters. It's easy to project mm-hmm. like what they're going to be doing for Fangio because the Broncos run a good mix of the same stuff. Um, exactly. The concerns with Washington, and again, like anybody who's actually looked up Washington probably knows the two big things. 
is like his testing numbers were so so and then also he's he's small like he's just straight up small like not even short he's actually small um like i'm still on board i don't know if i'm crazy like am i crazy like his tape is good I mean, I thought I was crazy. I honestly didn't think I was going to grade him that high whenever I watched him. Because, again, I was going in like, hey, this is a small guy. Maybe he's probably just a slot corner. Maybe he's just a free safety on the back end, uh, you know, throw him in as like a number three or number four safety and let's call it a day. But, yeah, like you say, his his film and tape is really good. Uh, and, again, this, the size concerns are, are glaring. They are a huge concern. But – whenever you watch him, he plays way bigger than he actually is. He's a guy that he has the speed to stay with the smaller or speedier receivers, but then he also has that physicality and able to play bigger than he is to go up against tight ends as well. Uh, He's got the three level ability. He can play on the deep end, whether you're in a one high or a two high can cover in the middle areas. And then also he's not afraid to come down and hit you and play in the run game and support around the line of scrimmage. You can put him in a slot corner as well. Um, I like what he does. Again, the the size concerns are, are definitely there, but what he does on the field is it's fun to watch and it's definitely noticeable. Uh, just how well he plays, you know, in in everything, whether it's against the pass, the run, zone, man, he can kind of do it all. And that's one of those things for for me. The fact that like it, I, I I watched him and I think I thought to myself if he can't play safety in the league, he's probably going to be able to play in the slot. Like you can, you can survive him there. And so like, it's not like, I don't think, and again, I, I watched this tape and I might just be way too high on him, but like, I don't think he's going to be a straight up bust. Like, even though he's smaller, I don't think he's going to get drafted and then just not be able to play anywhere. I think you can find a role for him and best case scenario. You have another, again, I don't do this. This isn't a comp, but I think best case scenario, you have like a honey badger type who can do a little bit of everything. He's just in a really small package. Yeah. Exactly. I, I think the floor is pretty high for him. He's not somebody that's just going to go out there and, and kind of bust, like you said. I think you're going to find a role for him, and he's going to be able to at least do a little bit for your team. So the other guy that I liked his tape, um, I didn't love his tape like I did Washington's, but I liked his tape, is Paris Ford's. Um, Paris Ford's workouts, though, were abysmal. Like, I don't know if you saw that. Uh, how, like, and again, on his tape, he doesn't play like a fast guy, but he plays like he's he knows what he's doing well enough that it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Like, is that like like what do you think? The, yeah, I, I think I agree. Um, obviously, he's more of that strong safety type. He's yeah. not going to be that that free safety, you know, one high over the top. Um, but you kind of look at his physicality, his ability in the run game, his ability to to kind of man up guys, you know, in that short to intermediate level. Um, I like whatever I, you know, what I saw there again, you know, the testing numbers aren't great, not an, a ridiculous athlete or anything by any means, but he just seems to always find the ball. He's always finding the ball. He's always forcing some sort of deflection, which usually gets picked off. Uh, he can man up the tight ends uh, difference maker. Like I said, in the run game, physical, aggressive, hard hitting. Um, and he went from a guy being kind of an out of control tackler. I think he had 21 broken tackles in 2019 only had seven in 2020. So he's a much more fundamental tackler, even still being the, the hard hitting aggressive type guy as well. So like I said, I like him, uh, like him obviously is that strong safety. Uh, I like what he brings, but you know, I'm not playing him over the top for sure. And he's well, again, like because the Broncos play so much too high structure, the, the athleticism stuff doesn't scare me as much. The, the one thing that I would think that you would want to be aware of with him, like you said, like you wouldn't want to leave him alone in the middle of the defense by himself. 
Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I think a two high is perfect. I, I would worry if you're more of a one high shell team, but you know, with the Broncos being the two high shell, I think he, he would fit in perfectly there. Uh, and then because I was watching Ford, I've noticed DeMar Hamlin. I haven't gone back and like focused on him yet. Um, but I saw, again, I saw that you watched him. Like, what do you, what do you think of DeMar mm-hmm. Hamlin? I like him. I'm, I'm, I'm actually a pit guy. So I, I like watching Pitt and they had a pretty good defense this year. So it was fun to watch, but I think he's a good all around safety. He's a guy that has good instincts, just diagnoses and reads plays well, a uh, solid man defender, good and open field tackles, um, more of that number three safety. So that doesn't really say that, Hey, he's going to come in and really ball out right away. Elite defender. Um, but I think he can bring a lot and he, he does a lot of stuff really good. So I think he can bring a lot to the defense and, and I like him, you know, whether it's, it's on the back end or, uh, you know, tackling it or in the run game, I like what he brings. Well, one thing that stood out to me when I was reading your report on him too, is, is how the, the, the instinctual stuff, because again, mm-hmm. like Fangio, and again, I don't know, I don't know if this is just like me kind of like over, over analyzing, but it, like, it seems like Fangio puts a ton on the safety's plates, even compared to like uh, like, cause again, I've watched, you know, I've watched other teams. It seems like he asks them to do a lot in terms of like switches, communication, that, like that type of stuff. And so when I read that about Hamlin, I was thinking to myself, I was like, he makes sense. Like he's a guy that could make sense, especially because he was playing in a similar structure that he could be able to step in and do that again. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, the other guys you looked at, you looked at Lauren. I, again, I haven't watched, I've, I've read your reports on all these guys, but I haven't watched them yet. Um, Lawrence White. I saw that you gave him a 6.2. Um, I actually, I, I've read Christian Uphoffs, and I'm curious what you think of him because based on like what I've, uh, he's the, he's one of those guys I've grabbed in like the mock draft machine type of stuff. And the way like the way Draft Network talked about him, it made it him out to sound like he would be more of a free guy. But you have him as a box safety, so like that that discrepancy makes me kind of curious. So I was just curious what you thought of him. Yeah, I I didn't love his ability as more of the free safety, the deep range ability. Uh, I think he was better as a guy that you put in a too high shell. I think he's better down around the line of scrimmage, good run supporter, solid zone defender. Um, I think he lacks a little bit of the range and the instincts to kind of play on that back end. Um, but I think kind of like as a box safety, maybe in the slot a little bit against like tight ends and stuff like that. I think I like him around there. I just didn't love what I saw in terms of his ability, uh, you know, against the pass deep. Um, and the athleticism kind of on the deep end. And then uh, kind of as a, as a general thing, cause I, I meant to ask you this before, but I was just really stoked to talk about Washington. Um, does it, does this come across to you as a decent draft to try and find a guy that eventually will take over for cream Jackson or should the Bron- like, would the Broncos be better off like waiting a year or like what, like, does this class kind of stand out to you as a good class to grab a too high safety? I think it's pretty solid. I think there are guys that you can get, especially two high guys. Um, I think it's harder to find that that one high player who has the range to be able to play in the middle of the field. But two high guys, whether it's a strong safety or a free safety, that have you know the half field range can roll down, maybe play in the slot, roll down and play uh, you know support the run. I think this is a pretty good class for that. Um, you know, again, we're Hamlin. We talked about he's a six four, kind of that number three uh, safety. He's our number seven safety. So we have, you know, six safeties ahead of that. I think there's enough depth there uh, that if you're looking for a guy, maybe in that second or third round uh, and want a guy that can eventually take over for him, I think it's a pretty good uh, year in draft to do that. Cool. So one, one spot of this draft, I think is everyone, like basically you turn on Twitter, it's all everyone's talking about. And it's all everyone's been talking about for a month now 
is this looks like the most loaded quarterback class in a while. Um, and people were saying that about 2018, but like, this is looking like a class like that. And then, and I don't know if you've looked ahead at all, but like I watched uh, Sam Howell quite a bit already just because like there's a decent chance the Broncos kind of wait. I am not that high on Sam Howell based on what I've seen so far. And I, based on the couple things I've read, like it sounds like the NFL is kind of down on the 2022 class. So like, to me, this seems like the last best chance to get a quarterback for a couple years, possibly. Um, especially when you look at the yeah, Broncos yeah. roster, like they might, even if Locke's garbage, like they might be too good to fall to nine again. Yeah, exactly. I, I do think that this year, especially if you're drafting in, in the top 10 or probably even the top five at this point, and you're wanting one of those big time quarterbacks, I think this is the year to do it. Uh, especially if you're not in a rebuilding stage and you're hoping that you're not in that top 10 again next year. Um, like you said, Hal, I think, I think he's good, but not great. I think he took a little bit of a step back this year. Um, you have guys like Slovis or Rattler, um, guys that could possibly come out again. You're not really guaranteed on those guys coming out as well. Um, I think this is a pretty solid class. If you're looking at that top end, it does kind of drop off a little bit. There's some decent players in that developmental areas in the middle of the, of the draft, but you kind of look past that. There's not a ton there, but if you're trying to compare it to, to next year, I think if you're wanting a really good quarterback at the top end of the draft, or at least a guy that has a lot of traits that you can kind of develop, uh, I think this is a, a pretty solid year for it. Well, one of the other things that always scares me about quarterback too is like, I, and I've looked at a lot of data, like, cause I, again, I love, I love watching film, but I also love like just digging through all the different like stuff. Um, history has basically shown like, especially like since like 2000, outside of like the exceptions of like Drew Brees and like Dak Prescott, it's like, basically if you're going to draft a quarterback and expect him to start, you have to go for him high. Like that's kind of like, yeah. maybe not top 10, but he's basically, it's like first round or you're grabbing a backup and hoping. Um, yeah, exactly. So the fact that there's five guys that might be good. And again, like I'm not really, really high on Mac Jones. Like we'll get there in a second, but like, it looks like there's five guys that could be first round guys. Like that's, um, and granted, like now that the 49ers have traded up, it looks like the quarterbacks are going to go one, two, three. Um, I don't, I'm pretty confident. I'm pretty, I, I would bet that you're probably pretty confident. Trevor Lawrence is going one, yeah. uh, all the reports. Yeah. All the reports out, out of the BYU pro day is basically the jets are going to take Zach Wilson at this point. Maybe not, but like it definitely looks that way. Um, but that kind of leaves the other three. And like, again, the Niners are probably going to take one of them, but like Justin Fields, Trey Lance, or Mac Jones, like one of the, like one of those three will probably be gone, but two of the other three might not be. Like, um, and I know that you watched Trey Lance. Um, I would love to kind of pick your brain on because like Trey Lance and Mac Jones is like this too, for me. Like I normally, when I evaluate quarterbacks, I put a lot of weight into how many, how, like their starts. First of all, this is, I blame football outsiders. Uh, I got into football, like right around when their first, all like the, the uh, Lewin QB forecast came out way back when, I don't know if you know this. But it basically like tied in like accuracy and starts is like a was a good predictor for 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 how good a quarterback was going to be coming out a while back. And again, like it's kind of fallen off some now. But even still, like you look at quarterbacks with as few starts as Trey Lance and Mac Jones have, and like it's a pretty hit or miss list. Um, like what to you kind of stands out about Lance? Because I know it's not his fault that he didn't start much. Like first of all, like what do you think of Lance? But also like how is he going to succeed? I guess in the NFL because like. He's coming out of like a Josh Allen type of situation where he's like small school. He has some questions about his accuracy. Um, everybody I've heard has said like he's really smart. So like that does give me some hope. But like, what do you think? Again, I'm talking too much. So 
Yeah, I, I actually had him a little bit as as that Josh Allen comp as well. I don't think the the playing styles are similar. Yeah. But everything that you just mentioned, you look at a small school, didn't start very much. I think Trey Lance had 17 starts. Yep. Uh, and and granted, that's at an FCS school as well. Um, completion percentage wasn't, you know, our target percentage, things like that. They were decent, but they weren't great. Look at Josh Allen's. They were, were not good at all. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's hard to say that you're not going to get too many Josh Allen's basically is what I'm trying to say. You're not going to get a guy very often that comes out and doesn't have the accuracy. And all, all of a sudden three years later is ridiculously accurate. Um, but with Lance, I, I think there's, a, there's enough there that you can kind of work with. Um, he is, he is a frustrating guy to watch a little bit. I watched nine games of him. Uh, I tried to watch as much as possible uh, just because there is a lot of inconsistencies here and there. Um, but first of all, the, the athleticism is there. He runs well. Um, one of the biggest things obviously today is uh, in, in the league is guys that, that are mobile, just being able, whether you can actually run uh, and, you know, outside the pocket and scramble is one thing, but being able to, to work the pocket uh, is definitely a huge thing. He does that well. He extends plays, has has the strong arm, can make all the throws. Uh, as a runner, I think excluding sacks, he had almost 1,200 yards, 14 touchdowns in 2019. So he's, he's definitely a runner, and he's built like a running back as well. So he's a big guy, can definitely deliver a blow. Uh, obviously, the issues with him, I didn't really see much anticipation with him. He didn't throw a lot of guys open. Uh, it, it almost seemed like every throw that he made was either late or he was waiting until the receiver was actually open before he threw it. So essentially being late. Um, that was one of the things that worried me. I think he throws a really good deep ball. Um, I think the decision-making is a little bit hit and miss at times, which I think he threw one interception in his career. But again, if you're looking at the overall number, he probably had a couple other ones that were dropped. Um, so so you see a couple of things like that. There are some things that, that worry me a little bit. I think he fits best in a scheme. And this is basically what he did at North Dakota state where he has a lot of play action, has a good running game and kind of win, can win with a running game first and be able to get the play action to kind of open up the pass. Uh, I think that's kind of the system that, that he's going to fit best in and also being in a system that doesn't ask him to play right away. I think he's one of the guys, and I'm, I'm an advocate for most quarterbacks coming out and, and sitting regardless, yeah. unless you're a top-end guy anyway. And, but I think Lance, I think he's a guy that he may need two or three years. I don't think he's a guy that can come out right away. I think there's too much that you need to kind of work with him, but he has all the tools. He has a lot of good traits and good skills that you can develop. Uh, and I think if you're looking at, you know, the middle of the top 10 or even the back end of the top 10, if he does fall a couple of spots, uh, I think if you're getting him in a good situation where you can sit, uh, sit him for at least a year or maybe two, I think there's enough there that you can kind of work with. He, to me, I kept thinking back when the Niners were at 12, I kept thinking that they would be really lucky to get him just because like for him, like, first of all, he would be lucky to land with them too. Because like with Garoppolo, he has a good chance of like he does have a guy in front of him that he's mm-hmm. he's not going to probably beat Garoppolo out early. So like there's not going to be a real controversy. Plus, I think Kyle Shanahan's the kind of coach like he has the stability that like he's not going to be pushed to start a guy too early. And I think that yeah. that would help Lance. But also, I think like in terms of like the Shanahan system, I just thought it was like it's, it's everything you just described. Like it it fits what yeah. he needs to a T. Uh. People are kind of going on like on about how Mac Jones also makes sense there. I don't see it. Um, the fact that we suddenly turned Mac Jones into a top five quarterback, 
when people were debating if he was a first round quarterback a month ago is, is crazy to me. Um, but also like, I'm a hater. Like everyone says I'm a hater. I, I don't feel like I'm a hater, but I just like, to me, the fact that like Mac Jones, I know he ran a four, eight I don't care that he ran a four, eight Like you watch his tape. Like he looks like old Philip rivers. Like when he tries to run like, and, and again, like not to hate on him, but like too much, but like he doesn't have special physical skills. And on top of that, like, uh, when I was reading the report for him from you guys, and, and honestly, after I read it, I went back and watched like the hitch and just, his delivery does see you see it. Um, mm-hmm. and I, and like, maybe he can fix that. Like, I don't think he's going to be Tom Brady though. Like I had Tim Jenkins on like a month and a half ago now. And he mentioned that he had heard that Mac Jones has like a Tom Brady esque like maniac competitive toughness. Like he's, he's just driven like that. Like he's the guy that's like, he's going to he's going to be an asshole. Like everyone in the locker room is going to rally to him because otherwise he's going to run you out of the building. Like he's that guy. Um, and yeah. I get that. And again, like I can't evaluate that. So like NFL teams might see that and fall for that because they actually have access to that. But like, for me, I see the fact that like, I don't think there's been a pocket quarterback to come into the league and like succeed early since like Matt Ryan. And this is like 2008. So like, I am afraid of him. Like he, to me, looks like an outlier as big an outlier as Trey Lance does. Like, am I crazy? Yeah. He's a, he's a tough guy to evaluate. I obviously, everybody watched a lot of Alabama, you know, whenever they play deep into the season, I didn't specifically watch him and and scout him, but there's definitely things that you notice. Uh, I I think the accuracy is, it's still there. He is throwing to open guys a lot. Um, That's one thing that you do have to worry about a little bit. Uh, whenever you're looking at Alabama because you have ridiculous receivers who are always getting open. So you're kind of just floating it up there, but you do look at the accuracy and, and I think it's there still. Um, he's not just throwing it into an area. I think he is still being able to put it, you know, on target uh, even in, in windows. Um, he's obviously not a guy who is that physical specimen, like you said, but I think he has enough mobility that, you know, we we're talking about being able to work the pocket Um and he's, he's not a guy who's just going to be a straight out runner like Lance is, but he has enough of that poise and that mobility inside the pocket to kind of work around, get away from the defender, step up and, and make plays. So um, it is interesting. I, I don't see him as a top 10 guy. If you're wanting to take him in that, that middle of the first round, I think there's enough there you can work with and you can kind of argue that. Uh, but I think there is uh, there is something to him. And I think he played well enough this year that, there are some traits that you can kind of build off of with him. Yeah. I mean, he made, so in my defense, like he made my first round board. Like I did a pre free agency board and I just like, kind of like, I, I kept going back and forth on him. Um, and then I made a QB rankings, like just like after the Niners trade, I, I went back over, like, what are the Broncos mm-hmm. real options? And Mac Jones is like, I, I ranked him right about where I ranked drew lock right now, just because I feel like Mac Jones presents a lot of risk. Um, that said, like if you are bound and determined to move on from Drew Locke, and again, if like the Broncos have access to the information to know, like he has that kind of leadership, like, yeah, I'm a, like, I could, I could buy in on Mac Jones, but without yeah. that, I'm very scared of him just because again, like, I feel like, like people will always say like Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, that kind of stuff. But like these guys succeeded in the pocket in part because like, they're so smart and they have such a mastery of their offense already. Whereas Mac Jones is coming into the league and having to get that part. So like, I feel like there's less margin for him to make mistakes than like some of the other guys. And that to me is, I think that's the scariest part to me is like, I feel like if you just threw him out there tomorrow, like he's going to have to figure it out without a lot of like, of a crutch. Like he doesn't have a crutch to fall back on. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I think there is stuff that you can work with, but I, I, he's not a guy that I want him starting year one. I definitely want him to sit a little bit. And I, I do think he is somebody that you can kind of get around. I mean, if you just watch the senior bowl practices, he was one of those guys that was always talking, always talking to his teammates and things like that. And even if you watch Alabama games, you could kind of see it as well. And those guys, I think one are easy to root for, like you said, but two, I think do get those, you know, more chances just because he is going to be a guy that a lot of guys are going to rally around and kind of try and lift him up. And he's going to really kind of win the coaches over because a lot of, a lot of guys are going to love him um, because of that mentality that he has. So there is that high risk, high reward, but he does have kind of a little higher, you know, ceiling and, uh, you know, the lower floor as well. So it, it's going to be interesting with uh, with him and kind of seeing where he falls is, is definitely going to be an interesting thing too. So then I guess the last quarterback we got to touch on a little bit, I know you didn't scout. Well, there's two, cause I know you scouted Jamie Newman. I want to touch, I want to touch on that too, because I haven't actually watched the, like basically after the big five, I haven't really watched mo- many of the quarterbacks, but if the Broncos kind of like, wait, they could definitely take a chance on a guy like Jamie Newman. Cause like Newman, I know, uh, Davis out of uh, Stanford, like those are two guys that like a lot of people basically said like their situation is one of the reasons why they're not getting talked about much right now because Newman, yeah. Newman actually transferred to Georgia to show like prove himself. And then he opted out. Like, first of all, like, and like, and I get it again, I don't hold it against a guy to opt out in the middle of a pandemic, like personally, but like also like, because he didn't do that though, he missed a year of first of all, like tape, but also like he didn't get like SEC coaching. Like he didn't get to do that. And so I think a lot of his questions, like, and then I know his senior bowl workouts weren't like, he was kind of shaky. Like, what do you, what do yeah. you, what do you, what do you think? Like where, like, would it be crazy to take a chance on him? Like early day three? I don't think so. I, you know, both of those guys, Davis Mills and Jamie Newman, I think are very intriguing guys. Both were basically hampered because of COVID. Uh, you know, Stanford only played, I think six games or so. Mm-hmm. So it would have been nice to see him play a lot more. And then obviously Newman opted out. I do because one of the things I was worried about is I thought Newman left and opt, he opted out like right after he went to Georgia, but I think he was at Georgia for about six months or so. He was there ever since January. And I think he opted out around like the middle of the summer or late summer. Um, so he was around a little bit and that helped me out a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I, I think both those guys are, I would have loved to have seen them, uh, you know, in 2020, you know, more for Mills and then just at all for, for Newman. But I think those are two guys that they have enough traits that you can develop. Uh, I obviously am not taking those guys in round two or anything, but if you're wanting to take those guys in the early day three, um, there's enough there. They throw catchable balls. The one thing with, with Newman is uh, I actually posted a, a Twitter video when I watched him, I think in three games, he had eight screens or flat routes where he was just off target. He just completely missed guys. So he, is a little concerning in terms of the overall accuracy and the on-target percentage there, but you know he has the uh, you know has the the arm strength, he has the mobility, he can extend plays, he works the field, uh, and, and he, he's more of a threat as a runner as well. Like I think there's enough there that you can kind of work around. Um, and again, he's not a guy that should come in and, and play at all, uh, you know, in the first couple of years, but he has enough there that you can develop, and, and I think I graded him as that, you know, circumstantial starter or, you know, the quality 